Welcome to the Outspoken Offender Podcast. I'm a filmmaker, podcaster, dog dad, and of course, an advocate. I encourage people forced to register and their family members to move beyond stereotypes and social ostracism. Welcome to the show. Thanks for listening to this podcast. And this is about, uh, it's a story, and it's a a true story, of course. I've had some requests um, to talk about my experience in federal prison with my sex offense. And so I'm going to talk about that a little bit today. Uh, Not going to be the whole entire story. That would take too long, but I'm going to condense it down. And I think this podcast is, is great for moms and dads, parents, loved ones that have someone incarcerated currently now in in prison or jail, uh, or perhaps you just want to hear the story. Um, It it starts off basically in uh, 2007, in December. I'll never forget the day, December 10th, uh, 2007. And I actually had the opportunity to to self-surrender, which is good and bad. Self-surrender is basically what it sounds like. I go there and surrender myself to the prison. Uh, I didn't stay in jail very long. I was only there for five days. I was out on federal bond uh, for about a year, year and a half. And then the federal judge allowed me to self-surrender. So that's, that's how that happened. I remember this day, of course, so well. And it was a very emotional day. I was with my sister and my brother-in-law. And I, re- I remember the morning, um, we had to be there at noon, and we got there a little early. We couldn't find the prison, because this was actually in Seagoville, Texas. And I'm not from Texas, I've never been to Texas before that day. And so they were actually, ha- they were driving, and they were having a hard time finding the prison. I'm like, oh, maybe this is a good thing, maybe I don't have to self-surrender. But I, I knew deep down, um, I had to go in. And eventually they found the, the right exit to uh, this prison. Seagoville, and perhaps people are listening today that have been to Seagoville. And if you have, I'd love to hear from you. Uh, when I was walking up to the self-surrender area, whatever it was, I had a very strange, I, I don't know how to explain it. It was perhaps 50% hallucination or 50% of just anxiety. But there was this path that walked to the main door, and it was kind of curvy. And as I was walking, I felt like the path was getting longer and longer. And that was my subconscious probably saying, I don't want to go to this place. I don't want to self-surrender. It was a very weird feeling. Uh, I'll never forget it. But anyway, I entered the, um, the self-surrender area and um, was an emotional goodbye with my sister and brother-in-law. Now, I have to tell you, this is my experience. It's going to differ depending on the person. Uh, so I don't want to take, I don't want you to take what I, what I say today as like, you know, gospel. Um, and my intention is not to scare anybody with my story. Actually, I think my story is not very scary. It's not very exciting, really. So I was sentenced to 49 months in Seagoville. It's a low security federal prison. And I was actually surprised when I got there. It looked more like a worn down, rough college campus. That is the best way I can describe it. 
it was low security, so it had a double fence with bob, you know, uh, uh, razor wire on top. Didn't have a guard shack. Didn't have a gun shack. It didn't have walls or anything like that. So uh, I could see the highway. You know, um, I could hear the 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 highway, the motorcycles, the trucks going by, which was strange. Uh, but the best way I could describe it is a very rough-looking old college. There was a lot of greenery, a lot of trees, though we, we weren't allowed to walk on the grass. We had to stay on the, the walkway. There was a library. There was a legal law library there. There was a chapel. You know, the basic things that uh, a federal prison has. There was, I think, five separate housing units. And something else that surprised me about this was the uh, bathroom accommodations reminded me of a public restroom they were private uh, I know and, and you're thinking well no toilet in the cell and, and again I have to tell you this is a low security this is going to be different if you're medium or high or in a state prison or in or in jail the low security prison in Seagullville had you know fairly private bathrooms they weren't like just sitting out in the middle of nowhere you know in, in front of everybody I mean and the showers were stalled and, um, you know, pretty private, uh, considering it was a prison. So that was very, very nice. No bathroom, no toilet in, in the rooms. And we called them rooms there because they weren't really cells. Yes, they were brick wall or not brick walls, but, um, concrete walls, but there was no door. There was no bars. So anybody can enter in at any moment. And they were, you know, they were small, but they weren't that small. Um, and so overall, you know, considering this is a, is a federal prison, the housing units were okay. Uh, I was very lucky to have air conditioning in the building that I was in. I felt very, very bad for the other male inmates that were in these other housing units that were there. They were older and they did not have air conditioning. They had these large fans in there. And you've got to think that the Dallas heat, the Texas heat, oh my goodness. So that was unbearable. Uh, so again, I got lucky there. So as I started getting acclimated, I had a real rough time the first couple of months. Um, I, I got really sick. I mean, not like deathly sick, but a very bad like bronchitis. Everyone was telling me that I had like, you know, some horrible disease or something. And I'm like, no, no, it's just I'm getting used to, you know, the air there and the germs. I talked to my family a lot, which was wonderful, which was a huge support. I talked to my mom. Uh, I talked to my sister and, and my dad and, and my aunt and uncle, which was, uh, they were just such a support for me. And I hope that um, you had that support if you were incarcerated. So let me correct something that I said just a, a minute ago. I said that my time at the prison wasn't, was kind of boring. Well, it, no, I take that back. It was boring in a way that there was very little violence. I was never stabbed. Uh, I was never beat up. I never was involved in a fight. Now, of course, there are other people, yes, that have that were fighting sometimes. Um, but I only saw a couple of fights in 49 months. Seagullville basically had a population of 50% that were in there for a sex offense and 50% were drug-related. So there was still some tension, though, 
Um, you didn't want to talk freely just to anybody that you're in there for a sex offense. You started to get to know the people that you can trust and that you can talk to. And I, I met some really good people in there. There are good people in prison. There are good people that made a mistake and really don't belong in there. Um, that's another podcast. But anyway, I met some really good people. And in fact, one gentleman, his name was Marvin. Maybe you're listening, Marvin. You know who you are. He is a good friend of mine, and we actually communicated a little bit after we got out of prison. Okay, so back to my experience. There were some traumatic experiences that I had that were personal, and these things are hard for me to talk about. Um, I know that people that have gone through incarceration, you know, there's a lot of things that go on the outs, uh, go, goes on with the family members that you have no control over. You can't be there for them. Um, you're stuck in prison. And so the first thing that happened to me, or to my family rather, is all of my grandparents, actually three of my grandparents passed away the first year that I was incarcerated. And when I tell you these stories, it's not because I want you to feel sorry for me. I just want to tell you my experience. It's simple as that. Um, so my grandparents passed away, and that was very difficult. Um, the second thing that occurred was my father was arrested for something unrelated to my crime. My family is not a criminal family. I mean, me going to prison was a shock. And then my dad going to prison was a complete shock. But this can happen to any family, and it can happen fast. So I found out through a phone call. My sister called me and said, you know, um, don't freak out, but dad's, dad's uh, in, in prison. And before he went in, he tried to kill himself. Uh, he ended up being in a coma for 10 days, and so I thought I was going to lose my dad, but luckily he pulled out of the coma, and he ended up serving about two, two and a half years. He's out now doing well, uh, but that was a very scary situation for me. The next thing, oh, about a year later, I find out my sister had a stroke. Oh, my goodness. Um, one thing after another. My sister had a stroke. Luckily, she survived. She did lose the uh, use of her uh, left arm and some um, learning, you know, psychological type things um, in her brain. But she is doing well today. That was, you know, that was a very scary experience for me and, and very traumatic. The next thing was extremely extremely difficult it is it is hard for me to talk to you about this but um my mother passed away three months before i left prison three months before i left prison i you know it's it, i had this very strange feeling when i left my home to go self-surrender that she wasn't going to make it she had a lot of health problems a lot of health problems um, heart problems diabetes a lot of things like that and it ended up she did not make it. She um, had a blood infection that was like sepsis or something like that. And she her body couldn't fight it. And I remember talking to her the last time. And she was in the hospital. And I said, we're both going to get out of here. You're going to get out of the hospital. And I'm going to get out of here very soon. And that was the last time I talked to her. So, um I'm trying not to get emotional, but um, that's what happened. Again, I'm not trying to make you feel sorry for me. Um, I made a horrible mistake, and you know things happen. 
Um, so those were the very traumatic personal experiences. In terms of, you know, how prison society is or prison mentality, you know, it's it's a different world in there. I got very irritated with a lot of people and I, I couldn't figure out why people were so involved with like the prison life. And, and, and I know, I know that's like the only thing they have. They might have been in prison for 5, 10, 20 years. I don't know. But they were so wrapped up in prison politics and rumors. It was like high school in there. That, that was hard for me to, to handle because I was trying to improve myself. I was taking college courses. I wrote some books. I read a lot. Um, I even did a ebook for incarcerated um, parents, uh, like a children's activity book that was published as an ebook. And so I kept myself busy, but it was just this prison mentality that I could not deal with sometimes. And I, find, I found myself putting on my headphones they, they allowed you to have like a little headphone radio thing and go going out on the on the, the rec yard or, or a path by myself and just just like crying, not hysterically, but just, you know, teary eyed. Just I can't deal with this anymore. I can't stand this environment. Uh, but of course, I'm talking to you today and I did make it. And it is a tough challenge for anyone involved. And if you're a parent or a loved one listening to this. They can make it. They can make it. You find out how strong you are in a situation like this. Once you get comfortable with the environment, well, no, I, don't, I shouldn't say comfortable. You get used to it. You don't like it, but you, you get used to it. Once that starts occurring and you stay busy, time does move fast. What was interesting about Seagoville, Texas, FCI, was it was next to a park. And <laughs> this is so ironic. Every 4th of July... I, uh, I and other inmates could see the fireworks that they shot off at the park. In fact, one, I think two out of the four years I was there, they let us sit out with our chairs and watch these freaking fireworks. And I'm thinking, my goodness, I'm watching firework, a fireworks show in prison. How ironic is that? The, the freedom, you know, the independence. But, um, you know, that did help a little bit in a way and kind of made me depressed at the same time, but that was kind of a unique thing about Siegelville. Okay. So let me finish up by telling you one story that got me into trouble. And I almost forgot to tell you about this. I don't know why. Uh, you've maybe heard of the shoe or SAG or, um, special housing unit. Basically it's a prison within a prison. So if someone screws up, they make a mis they do something, they get in a fight or whatever, they go to SAG, the shoe, the hole. And that happened to me. I <laughs> again I I find myself in these weird situations where maybe I don't think fully. But what happened was to make a long story short, we had a copy machine in the legal room, in the legal office, and we could buy copy cards from the commissary. Okay, and they came with 50 copies, 50 copies, and then that was it. Well, I worked in the laundry department, okay, and so I'm going through, one day I'm working and I'm going through some clothes and we're supposed to look in the pockets to make sure that everything was out of the pockets. Well, I find a copy card. I'm like, oh my gosh, maybe this has a few copies left because at that time uh, I was looking at um, going over to being a tutor. 
uh, for the educational department. So I'm kind of thinking ahead. I can make copies of workbooks and things like that. So I took the copy card, which I think anybody would, thinking it might have 10, 15, 20 copies. Well, when I put the copy card in the machine later that day, I swear to God, and I'm not making this up, I put it in the little card reader, and it said 4,000 copies available. And I almost shit my pants. I was like, what the hell? I have this freaked out copy card. I don't know how it has 4,000 copies on it, but it's working. Okay, so that's where I made a mistake. I should have just turned it in. But, you know, I'm thinking no one's going to catch me. I'm just going to use the copy card. I'm making copies for, uh, because I was tutoring some people. I was, pl- was going to be doing that in the next month. And so I started making copies of workbooks and eventually I did move to the educational department and I, and I kept making copies. Kind of reminds me of that SNL skit, making copies. And uh, everything was going fine and I let a friend use the card one day. And you can kind of see where this is going. He's using the copy card and other people are looking at him seeing, oh, look how many copies he has, what the hell? And so they, you know, eventually the COs got word of this, came in and basically questioned him and they took him to the lieutenant's office. And then they called me in a few hours later. I will never, ever forget this moment with that, that lieutenant. He was the rudest, meanest man I have ever had to deal with in my life. He got face-to-face with me. I mean, nose-to-nose. Now, in the federal system, they technically cannot, like, get in your space. They can't push you or hit you or something like that. It's not like, you know, in the movie, like in state or something. So he's screaming at me, trying to get me to say that I've got some copy card conspiracy going on, and I'm getting these copies sent in. From the outside, I'm thinking, no, I'm not, sir. I I was being polite, but I was standing my ground. I was not letting him basically force me to say, oh, yes, yes, yes. I told him, look, sir, I found this. I I have a witness over there that saw me find this card. He wouldn't back down. He's, I'm gonna, I'm gonna charge you with a felony and all this stuff. It went on for hours hours and the other guy that got caught with the card he actually fainted uh i didn't see it but he fainted he told me later he fainted in the lieutenant's office so this is how extreme this can be and so i just say you know don't get in trouble right so eventually the dude the lieutenant guy i want to call him many words right now but i won't he gave up and i mean they didn't give up but they still put me in the hole for 62 days Now, this is where I believe that the punishment is like a human rights violation. The hole at FCI at that time, this was probably in 2009, had no air conditioning. We had a heat wave, no joke, a heat wave, 30 days plus of 100 degree weather, no break, 100 degrees at least for 30 freaking days. Okay, and that will take a toll on your mind and your body. I am in there. I did not stop sweating for 62 days. I had rashes all over my body. 
I was getting extremely dizzy towards the end. I was drinking a lot. There was, you know, in that situation, there were bars, there was the toilet. So like a a high security type situation. It was extreme. I complained to the warden and really didn't do anything at all. They did come around every night with Kool-Aid. Okay, wow. You know, I'm, I'm drinking so much and I'm, it's, I'm still dehydrated. And what was upsetting is I was in there the longest. There was a couple of other, other copy cards that were floating around that I honestly did not know about. And they were in there for like 30 to 40 days. For some reason, I was in there 62 days because maybe I didn't back down with the lieutenant. But I'm proud of that. He was trying to make me say something I didn't do. So eventually I did get out of the, the hole and I had, I had lost, well, let's see, I had lost about 30 pounds, 25 pounds, something like that. And when I got out, my friend saw me and he said, you look like Tom Hanks on Survivor. You look like shit. And I did. I was so thin. It was a horrible experience. And I, and I hope your loved one or you didn't have to go through this. Uh, unfortunately, I did not turn that copy card in. I was using it thinking that, you know, I'm doing good with it. Um, but they don't care. They don't see it that way. I ended up having to pay back like $300 for the copies and the toner. Um, but that was that was the only thing that I had to experience with, with the shoe or getting in trouble. There was no other issues. So if I look back at my experience at FCI Siegelville. It was depressing, it was lonely, and it was scary sometimes, but overall, it wasn't as bad as I thought it was going to be. I made it, and I remember that day I was released. I went to where, the the area where I self-surrendered, actually, that's where I walked out. I walked out to a van, and they drove me to the Greyhound station in Dallas. From Dallas, I took a Greyhound. My sister actually came uh, came on the trip with me, 24-hour trip to Salt Lake City where I uh, was in a halfway house for three months. And the halfway house, it wasn't too bad. Um, The prison mentality with the other people there still continued. You know, are you a sex offender? And that's something I didn't talk about about prison. You will hear some people say, you know, chomo, chomo that, you know, uh, child molester. And it's just, you know, for me at least, in my situation at Siegelville, it was just words pretty much. Um, you, you just got to get used to it and um, realize that the people saying these things are not worth your time. They are uneducated, maybe repeat criminals. And most of them, I'm not, I'm not saying bad about drug, drug offenders. I'm just saying that not all of them, but most would verbally harass people, you know, from time to time that had a sex offense. But if you kept you know if you if you were polite to people and you kept kept your confidence up then you wouldn't be bothered and i think that's one of the tips that i want to give before i close this podcast because i'm running kind of late here um if you have a loved one in prison let them know you know just to keep their confidence just be strong be smart don't be too outgoing but don't hide in the corner you'll find the balance they will find the balance and make take some time they'll find the balance. I hope you enjoyed this story. Um, There's, you know, it's not the entire story, but it's pretty much what I wanted to talk about. The 49 months at FCI Siegelville in Texas. 
If you like this podcast, please share it. You can also join my YouTube channel. If you just search for The Outspoken Offender, you'll find me. Also, I am doing trauma resilience coaching for anybody involved uh, through the criminal justice system or the sex offender registry. If you have been through that and there's trauma that you want to resolve, please contact me. Thank you for listening, and I'm The Outspoken Offender. Have a great day. Thanks for listening to this podcast episode. I'm The Outspoken Offender. Helping people forced to register and their family members move beyond stereotypes and social ostracism. I'd love to hear from you. You can connect with me on YouTube and Twitter. And remember, you are not a label.